Right, I think um, we're all aware of the fact, for those who've been here over the last few weeks, uh, we're preaching through a series um, through the book of Nehemiah, or partway through the book of Nehemiah, and uh, we've called that Rebuilding. And one of the reasons that um, we are preaching through Nehemiah is because over perhaps about the last year and a half or so, we've, we've really sensed as a church that God has been speaking to us about the role that Christians have to play in nation building at the moment. That we will make a difference in our country, we'll make a difference in our city, and that we'll make a difference in our nation. And as you know, part of the the book of Nehemiah deals with the rebuilding uh, of the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, They were built in in a very short period of time. The Bible tells us that in 52 days, the seemingly impossible happens and the wall of the city is rebuilt. In chapter 6, we read that. It says, So the war was completed on the 25th of Elul, or Elul, however you want to pronounce that, in 52 days. And then Nehemiah goes on to say, When our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that the work that had been done had been done with the help of the Lord. See, things are different when we trust God. What we're able to accomplish is far more than what we would expect because we have trusted in the Lord. And what we want to remember about Nehemiah is that the rebuilding of the wall was part and parcel of a much bigger process. I know the focus in Nehemiah is about the rebuilding of the wall, but it was part and parcel of a much bigger process that was taking place uh, in Jerusalem at that time. It was part and parcel of the restoration of God's people. God's people were in a bad place. They were discouraged. They were afraid. They were vulnerable because they were under the attack of the enemies. One of the reasons for that, of course, is that the city wall had been broken down. And so in Nehemiah chapter 1, when some of the exiles return from Jerusalem, we discover Nehemiah having a conversation uh, with some of them. And he says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And this is what they said to him. Those who survived the exile are back in the province, back in the province are in great trouble And they are in disgrace. The New Living Translation said, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. And so there was a need with, as Nehemiah returns with this group of people, it was part of the the restoration of God's people. It was, the rebuilding of the wall was also part and parcel of bringing people back to God and the worship of God. What had happened over the, over the years, people, God's people had started worshipping idols. They turned their eyes away from God. Uh, God was no longer the focus. And as a result of their sin and as a result of them getting into idol worship and doing all the stuff that the pagan nations around them had been doing, God sends their enemies and their enemies overpower them. And, and not only are people deported from, 
from Jerusalem, but the city wall is torn down. The temple, and, and some of you may know that the temple was lined with gold inside it. And for them to get access to the gold, they literally broke the temple down brick for brick so that they could access that gold. And so no longer is there the worship of God. The city is vulnerable because the wall has been torn down. And also the rebuilding of the wall is part and parcel of restoration of life in the city as God intended it to be. God never intended for His people to live this way. God never intended for His people to live defeated lives, discouraged lives, fearful of their enemies. That was never God's intention for His people. And so Nehemiah comes and they begin to rebuild the wall of the city and it's part and parcel of the restoration of the life in the city. Now as we come to chapter 3, and that's what I want to uh, deal with this evening, We've got a record of how the exiles who returned, the people who were living in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas of Jerusalem, all gave themselves to the rebuilding of the wall. And each person gave themselves to the task because they believed that what they were doing was important. And I want to stress that. They, they gave themselves, they all got involved in rebuilding because what they believed that what they were doing was important for the city. You will discover in Nehemiah chapter 3, some of the most unlikely people giving themselves to uh, the rebuilding because they believe in the importance of what they do. Despite the fact that the, the wall has been in ruins for over 70 years, maybe 70 to 80 years, the wall has been in ruins. Um, people are discouraged. There's a limited amount of labor. Uh, and, and then there's uh, the, what the enemies were doing that were, were, where they were trying to prevent them rebuilding the wall. Now, the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem didn't happen by accident. Even though one of one, it was one of the worst times in the nation of Israel. The rebuilding of the wall starts to happen, but it doesn't happen by accident. And, and, and it's something that I've been thinking about quite a lot, that, that things happen in society and God's people are moved not by accident, but because of some other dynamics. And let's read about uh, some of those other dynamics in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17. And we'll, we'll read right through into chapter 3. And verse 5. So this is Nehemiah. He's been, uh, uh, it was during the night, he walked around the city, saw the extent of the damage. Uh, and then the next day, he says to the people, um, you know full well the tragedy of our city. And very often when I, when I look at our country and our city, I see there's a tragedy that's happening around us. He says, it lies in ruins and its gates are burned. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And rid ourselves of this disgrace. We're not supposed to be like that as God's people. And then I told them how the gracious hand of God had been upon me. And about my conversation with the king. They replied at once. Good. Let's rebuild the wall. And so they began the good work. And then we discover some of the enemies start to stir and start to say things and start to mock them. It says, when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing rebelling against the king like this, they asked. But I replied, 
the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no stake and claim in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 3 and verse 1, we discover what the people were doing. And uh, by the way, if you ever read through Nehemiah, this is probably about the most boring part of, 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 of Nehemiah chapter 3. It says, then Elisha, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. They dedicated it and they set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel. People from the city of Jericho worked next to them. And beyond them was Zachar, son of Imri. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah. They did the whole thing. They laid the beams, hung the doors, and put the bolts and the bars in place. Merimuth, son of Uriah, and grandson of Hakkaz, repaired the next section of the wall. Besides him were Meshalem, son of Berechiah, and grandson of Meshezebel, and then Zadok, son of Bana. Next were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to help. And we discover that the people gave themselves to rebuilding because of the influence of the life of one man. His name was Nehemiah. People don't just automatically start doing things. Remember, the wall had been in ruins for, for 70 years. People had been living in the ruins. People got used to the ruins. But it took a man like Nehemiah, who had a passion from God and a zeal to do something, who came amongst them and said, guys, it's time to rebuild. That's what got people going. And I don't know if you've noticed that there is a kind of pattern in Scripture that when things like this happen, when we look around and we see the devastation and we see the problems, it takes a person who gets a passion to do something to mobilize others. And it can often be traced uh, right back to the, the fact that one person's heart got moved. Somebody had a broken heart about what was happening in Jerusalem. And he didn't just say, gee, that's so sad. Gee, the news is so bad. Wow, I'm really sorry you guys are having such a hard time. He said, let's rebuild the wall. I've got a passion to do something. One person started to pray. One person starts to repent. One person's willing to do something. One person's willing to persevere. And one person's willing to trust God. And friends, when you get a person like that amongst you, you and I get mobilized. That's what starts to happen. You know what the sad thing for me is? That when we have people like the Nehemiahs, we, we kind of make heroes of them. And the problem is that when we make a hero of somebody who's got a passion to make a difference, the rest of us feel unqualified to get involved because they're the hero now. But when Nehemiah heard about the crisis in Jerusalem and the condition the people were living in, it broke his heart. He was not a man who could receive news about the tragedy and say it's okay. Friends, you know one of the dangers we face and the challenges we face is we hear so much bad news it no longer breaks our heart. But it broke his heart. It brought him to repentance and prayer. 
He went before the Lord and, and said, Lord, I want to repent of the way that we have behaved as your people. Lord, I want to pray for favor with the king. It caused him to go back to God's word. You know, one of the wonderful things that, that will mobilize us is when we go back to the Bible and we read about what God said in the face of the problems we face. And when he went back to God's word and started believing God's word and trusting God's word, a miracle took place. Something unusual took place. Three months later, it happens. God gives Nehemiah favor with the man who is the king at that time, Artaxerxes. And permission is granted for him to return. He was the cupbearer to the king. And, and the king says to him, you, you may have permission to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. Resources are provided. In fact, the king opens up his own resources to his forests and, and for wood and stuff like that so that they can rebuild the wall. They even send an armed escort with them as they return to Jerusalem. When we get to Nehemiah chapter 3, people are, are, are willing to work on the wall and people start to rebuild because of the influence of one man. A man who was passionate about doing something. A man who would not give up. A man who was willing to tackle the task of rebuilding. One man who was confident because he says, I know the good hand of the Lord. Verse 17 of chapter 2, now I said to them, you know full well the tragedy of our city. It lies in ruins. Its gates are burned. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and rid ourselves of this disgrace. And then I told them how the gracious hand of the Lord had been upon me. I want to make a, an observation over here this evening. It's interesting. It was the news that things were not going well that actually mobilized Nehemiah. Have you noticed that sometimes it does exactly the opposite to us? Have you noticed that often when we get the bad news, we get discouraged? We want to bail out. We want to avoid all the problems. Why is it that when Nehemiah hears bad news and he hears of the tragedy in Jerusalem, he says, it's time to do something? I'll tell you why. Because his eyes were on God. His eyes were on the Lord. He was a man who was looking to God, reading the word. He was in the word. He was believing the promises of God. And he says, God, we can do something. And I want to say, church, our eyes need to be on the Lord and we can make a difference. You see, what, what kickstarts the process of rebuilding are these ordinary people like Nehemiah who are mobilized by what they see and hear. And they believe with God we can make a difference. I don't know how many of you here know John Thomas. He was previously the pastor of King of Kings in Fishman. And I'll never forget him sharing with me some years ago. We were at school together. It's been a long, sort of a long journey together. But I'll never forget him sharing with me one day. He was sitting in a, in a, in a pastor's fraternal. It's a, during the week, we get together as pastors, pray together, and just chat together. And somebody quoted some stats of the, uh, of the extent and the spread of HIV AIDS in Masipumalela, right next to their church. 
And he came away and he said, I cannot as a believer and a man of God hear what's happening there and do nothing. That's where it started. And today they're raising millions of rand. They've got hundreds of people working for them. But do you know where it started? Said a man stood before God and said, God, it cannot carry on like this anymore. And friends, things will change around us when you and when I start to say, God, things cannot carry on like this. We are God's people. We believe in God. We trust in His promises. Many of us can say tonight, the good hand of the Lord is upon us. It's time to do something. But you know, all our attention and focus can just be on, on Nehemiah. And what Nehemiah was doing. But we must not forget it was only the efforts of many people who made the rebuilding of the wall possible. Here's the point. One person can't do it on their own. You can be as on fire as you like. You can pray as much as you like. You can mobilize yourself as much as you like. Friends, God always calls people to do it together. I think that's one of the points that comes out strongly to me in Nehemiah chapter 3. That the rebuilding of the wall happened in record time because all of the people were willing to participate in the project. Look at verse 18. They replied to me, let's rebuild the wall. And so they began the good work. And just to give us some perspective of what was involved, because I know most of you are never going to go home and read Nehemiah chapter 3. But I give you some perspective that was involved. Nehemiah points out and highlights a few things that I want to highlight tonight. The first is this, that people got involved because they believed and appreciated the importance of the task of day. It wasn't just, ah, oh, another problem. They were saying, we need to go back and rebuild because it's important for the restoration of God's people. It's important for the restoration and rebuilding of the city. We need to give our attention to that. In verse 1, it says, the high priests and some of the fellow priests, they rebuilt the sheep gate. There were some priests who got involved in the rebuilding because they believed that what they were doing was important. They believed in the task that they were applying themselves to. In verse 3, it says the fish gate was rebuilt. Rebuilding was the agenda. In verse 7, it tells us that next to him, repairs were being made from, by the men from different places. In verse 8, it says repairs were being made over and over, rebuilding, repairing. Everybody was focused on the task they knew needed to be done. There was a joint effort from everybody because they understood how important the rebuilding was. I wonder if we understand this evening just how important our role is in our nation at this time. 
You might be saying to yourself tonight, well, I'm just a young person. I'm just a nobody. How could I ever make a difference? I will tell you this. When you trust in God and pray and believe in Him, you can make a difference. Why is that? Because you never come on your own. You always come with the one. I always come in the name of the Lord with the presence of the Lord and the power of the Lord in the spirit of the Lord, the reason we make a difference isn't just because of our efforts. It's because of who we believe. The second thing that's, that's highlighted is that everybody worked together. And at the end of chapter 3, verse 28, it speaks to... It, it, Nehemiah puts it like this in, in, in verse 28, going into verse 29. It says, next to them... Zadok, son of Emma, made repairs. And then later on in that verse, next to, next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the God at the east gate, made repairs. And then verse 30, and next to him. And over and over it says, next to him, next to him, next to them. And the point is, what we are doing needs to be done together. It needs to be done together. Let me say this to you this evening. I think one of the things the devil has succeeded in pretty well is getting us to do our own thing. Everybody needs to work together. I don't know if you ever remember the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, that we may be one. There is a sense for God that when we, as his people, join together and work together, it makes a difference. Let me say it makes a difference not because of just the combined work that we can do. Certainly that makes a difference. But in the Spirit, I don't know if you remember a verse in the New Testament says, and if two or three agree together. I don't know if you remember the verse that says, one of you will cause a thousand to flee, but two will cause ten thousand to flee. There's one thing that the enemy is very fearful of when you and I start working together is with one heart and one mind. Thirdly, I want you to notice that no mention is made of spectators. <laughs> you notice there's no mention anywhere in chapter 3 of a spectator. It says, and no man sat along the side and did nothing. No woman sat along the side. No young person sat and did nothing. Everything in chapter 3 is about those who did something. And what's significant to me in the inspiration of God's word, the names of people were written down and what they did was written down because they were important in the sight of God. And I want to say this this evening. There is coming a day, the Bible says, when the books will be open. You know what you're going to find when the books are open? All the things you and I have done for God that nobody knew about. You never got on the TV you never got your name mentioned in a book that somebody wrote. But there is a book that God is writing. And everything you have done and everything I have done will be written down in the book for His name and for His glory. And 
isn't it better than getting interviewed on TV when he says, well done. And then the fourth thing, and this is the best way I could think to put it. The people who worked there had to overcome their inhibitions. I don't know if you've noticed that it says the high priest worked. I don't know if you noticed it said the priest worked. I don't know if you noticed it said the goldsmiths worked. I mean, why don't you just think for a minute? I, I sort of had this picture in my mind. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a picture of the high priest and the way he was dressed in the Old Testament. He had these magnificent white robes that he would wear that would depict the fact that he was the high priest. This was the one person who was chosen once a year who would go into the Holy of Holies and bring the sacrifice before God on behalf of the people. I want you to now change that picture. Here's the high priest picking up rocks and building a wall. Here's the goldsmith. Here's the guy that's used to doing delicate, fine jewelry. Here's the man who's used to working with gold. And he doesn't say to the guy, sorry chaps, I'm not into this. These fingers are quite delicate. You know, I only do little gold stuff with them. You know, if my fingers get scuffed by the rocks, I'll never be able to do this delicate work anymore. Here's the goldsmith. He's picking up rocks. Friends, may I say this to you? The work of the kingdom demands all of us And we need to get over the things of saying, I can't and I don't. And if you remember what it says in Philippians chapter 2, it's not on the screen, but let me mention it anyway. It speaks about the attitude of Jesus. And it says, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. You see, the Son of God Himself did not hold on to His position and all that He was given in heaven. He made Himself nothing in the same way you and I need to do the same. You remember Jesus with His disciples? He took off His outer garment one day, took a towel and He wrapped it around His waist. Then He took a bowl of water. Picture this for a minute, the Son of God with a towel around his waist and a bowl of water and he washed the dusty feet of his disciples and then he said to his followers you go and do the same friends God's called us to serve he's called us to serve like Jesus Nehemiah is one of those passages, Nehemiah chapter 3, is one of those passages in the Bible that are there to remind us that every single person has a part to play. Guys, all of us have a part to play. We are here to serve. Nehemiah chapter 3 says... There are no excuses. It puts things right into perspective. And it shows us what can be done when we work together. 
You see, the role that each one of us plays is hugely important. And I believe when we get hold of that truth, that we'll find the job is able to get done. I've discovered what happens is this. We see some people in the body as way more important than others. It's usually the guys on the stage. They're the important ones. And if you're shaking hands at the door, you're not so important. That's the problem. That's the lie. You see, we've, every one of us have got to say what I'm doing for Christ because I'm doing it for Him is important. Whether you packed chairs tonight, made a burger tonight in the kitchen, whether you preached a message or led worship, all of us are doing it for His glory and to rebuild, see the kingdom of God extended. Is that right? Here's the battle you will face, and here's the battle I face. The moment you start to say, what I'm doing isn't really important, that's where the problem comes in. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, there were certain people in the Corinthian church who'd been given some awesome gifts. Some of them had prophecy, others would speak in tongues. They were very sort of outspoken people. And the outspoken people kind of gave off the vibe that those who did the sort of more menial things like serving and, and stuff like that, well, they weren't quite as important. And he says, that's rubbish because we are all the body of Christ. And then he goes on to say two things. Those who have those special, louder, upfront gifts cannot say to others, I don't need you. And he says to those who feel inferior... And I can't really make a difference. I'm not necessary. And he says that's nonsense because we together are the body of Christ. God has given each one of us here favor in different ways. Nehemiah spoke about the fact that, that God had given him favor because when he prayed... Something very special happened. The king said to him, how can I help? It was just a very unique moment in his life when the favor and the hand of the Lord was upon him. But you know, when I look across tonight, I see people here who have the favor of God on their lives. Stop saying you don't. You're his child. Let's take the favor of God that rests upon us in different ways and use it all for rebuilding and where there needs to be a difference made. The fact that things are not going well is going to do one of two things. It's either going to discourage you or it's going to mobilize you. See, if your heart and my heart is rooted in this word, and focused on God. You know what happens when we read the bad news? We always ask God, how can I make a difference? Because they completed the wall of Jerusalem in 52 days. Because they said the good hand of the Lord was on us. You see... It's the belief and commitment to what you and I can accomplish 
because we are trusting God, that results in those amazing stories. Those amazing stories like we've got in Nehemiah chapter 6, where it says the war was rebuilt in 52 days. Kerry's sister, Pauline, stays with us. She's a committed Christian. Every single week, with a team of sometimes maybe five other people, sometimes ten, sometimes they more, every single week, they go to the hospital, Kuritskia Hospital, and they go and pray for people in the wards. Two weeks ago, she came home, and I could see she was quite tense. I said, what's happened to this evening? And she said to us that they'd been into a ward, and they'd met an 18-year-old young South African man who'd been shot five times because he was part of a gang, and he was paralyzed. 18, he hadn't even got to 20 years old, and he was paralyzed shot five times. You see, that's what's happening in some communities at the moment. And said they spent time with him and they heard his story and they ministered to him. And then they told him about Jesus. And by the time they left, that young man had committed his life to Christ. And out of a tragedy, there came the blessing of knowing Jesus and he was Friends, that's what happens when people say the good hand of the Lord was upon me. I did it in God's strength. And tonight my sense is, and by the way, that's the end of the message. My sense is this, to ask you, will you respond tonight to the call and to the need challenge that we are faced with right now. Things are a mess. We are here to make a difference. It's going to be different. Some of you will do some things, others will do other things, but it's all for Him. It's all for the sake of the kingdom of God. I would like to ask you this evening, will you respond to this God, I'm willing to serve. That's all I'm going to commit myself to. I will say yes. I will say yes. I will no longer say I'm too scared. I will no longer say I can't. I will no longer say I'm going to be a spectator. It's time for the church to say yes to God. He's called us to serve. I want to ask you this evening, and I want you to think about this, because I'm going to ask you to respond by standing. Because I believe there is, a, there is a time when you and I need to say, I choose to respond. I choose to respond to the Word of God. I choose to respond to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to me. I make a choice tonight. Guys, this is not about feelings. It's about faith. God never said anywhere in the Bible, and man shall live by his feelings, or woman shall live by his feelings. It says we live by 
Faith means when He speaks, we believe. And so I ask you tonight, for those of you that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to, for those of you that God has been moving in your heart tonight, because you will be aware of that. I know that. If He's been dealing with you, you know it as much as I know it when He's been dealing with me. Will you say, yes, Lord, I will serve. If you're willing to do that, I'm going to ask you just to stand. That's your commitment to God. If you don't stand because somebody's standing next to you, trust me, God takes what we're doing seriously. I want you to all look at me because I've got some good news for you and some bad news the good news first God will be with you the bad news is you will be tested you know I often read about Paul who said woe is me if I do not preach the gospel I just want to see people getting saved but then he shipwrecked then they put him in prison. Then they beat him up. You would think, well, God, I'm like saying I'm willing to serve. Guys, there's a real world out there and there's a real enemy out there and there are people who don't like what we do. That's for real. And I've discovered for myself, every time I say, God, yes, I usually get tested and it takes about a week or so. <laughs> But I need you to know that when you say yes to God, He will be with you. But we will be tested. And there are challenges out there, and we do have an enemy. But you know what? We can do it. Because we're doing it in His name. So let's just pray together. And Nick, then you can just lead us in a song after that, if you will. And then I think we can take some time to do ministry. So Father, you are, you are here tonight. You are looking at our hearts. You're looking, Lord, at our responses. And Lord, we are coming to you not because we feel awfully uh, able or that we've got it all waxed or got it together. Lord, we are coming to you in deep humility. Lord, we are coming to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We are coming to say, Lord, will you use us in whatever way you choose? Lord, we'll do the menial tasks and we'll do the other tasks. Lord, we'll do the things behind the scenes that aren't noticed and we'll also do the things you want us where others will notice what's happening. But Lord, we are doing it for your glory because we know you've called your church for an hour such as this. Lord, we cannot be quiet and we cannot remain unmoved when we see the devastation all around us. Now, God, I pray in Jesus' name, will you anoint us with your spirit? Will you fill us and will you enable us? Will you enable us in such a way that your power will be made perfect in our weakness? And Lord, that in this amazing way that it happens, our enemies will say, 
the good hand of the Lord was upon them. That people will know we have come in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that in your name and for your glory. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you.